Hello, my name is Isaac, and today I will be reading Percy Jackson and the Battle of the Labyrinth, Chapter 16, Part 1. I open a coffin. Jumping out of a window 150 meters above ground is not usually my idea for fun, especially when I'm wearing bronze wings and flapping my arms like a duck. I plummeted towards the valley and the red rocks below. I was pretty sure I was going to become a grease spot in the Garden of the Gods, as Annabeth yelled from somewhere above me, Spread your arms! Keep them extended! The small part of my brain that wasn't engulfed in panic heard her, and my arms responded. As soon as I spread them out, the wings stiffened, caught the wind, and my descent slowed. I soared downward, but as a controlled angle, like a kite in a dive. Experimentally, I flapped my arms once. I aced... I aced into the sky, the wind whistling in my ears. Yeah! I yelled. The feeling was unbelievable. After getting the hang of it, I felt like the wings were part of my body. I could soar and swoop and dive anywhere I wanted. I turned and saw my friends, Rachel, Annabeth, and Nico, spiraling above me, glinting in the sunlight. Behind them, smoke billowed from the windows of Daedalus's workshop. Land! Annabeth yelled. These wings won't last forever. How long? Rachel cried. I don't want to find out, Annabeth said. We swooped down towards the Garden of the Gods. I did a complete circle around one of the rock spirals and freaked out a couple of climbers. Then the four of us soared across the valley over a road and landed on the terrace of the visitor center. It was late afternoon and the place looked pretty empty, but it ripped off our wings as as quickly as but we ripped off our wings as quickly as we could. Looking at them, I could see Annabeth was right. The self-adhesive seals that bound the wings to our backs were already melting, and we were shedding, shedding bronze feathers. It seemed a shame, but we couldn't fix them, and couldn't leave them around for the mortals, so we stuffed the wings in a bin outside the cafeteria. I used the tourist binocular camera to look up at the bill, at the hill where Daedalus's workshop had been. That it had vanished. No more smoke, no broken windows, just the side of a hill. The workshop moved, Annabeth guessed. There's no telling where. So what do we do now? I asked. How do we get back in the maze? Annabeth gazed at the summit of Pike's Peak in the distance. Maybe we can't. If Dedalus died, he said his life force was tied to the labyrinth, the whole thing might have been destroyed. Maybe that will stoop, stop Luke's invasion. I thought about Grover and Tyson still down there somewhere. And Daedalus, even though he'd done something terrible things and put everybody I cared about at risk, it seemed like a pretty horrible way to die. No, Nico said. He isn't dead. How can you be sure, I asked. I know when people die. It's this feeling I get, like a buzzing in my ear. What about Tyson and Grover, then? Nico shook his head. That's harder. They're not humans or half-bloods. They don't have mortal souls. We have to get into town, Annabeth decided. Our chances of finding an entrance to the labyrinth will be better. We have to make it a camp before Luke and his army. We could just take a plane, Rachel said. I shuddered. I don't fly. But you just did. That was low flying, I said. And even that's risky. Flying up really high, that's Zeus's territory. I can't do it. Besides, we don't even have time for a flight. The labyrinth is the quickest way back. I didn't want to say it, but I was hoping that maybe, just maybe, we'd find Grover and Tyson along the way. So, we need a car to take us into the city, Annabeth said. Rachel looked down towards, into the parking lot. 
She grimaced as if she were about to do something she regretted. I'll take care of it. How? Annabeth asked. Just, just trust me, okay? Annabeth looked uneasy, but she nodded. Okay, I'm gonna buy a prism in the gift shop. Try to make a rainbow and send an iris message to camp. I'll go with you, Inko said. I'm hungry. I'll stick with Rachel then, I said. Meet you guys in the parking lot. Rachel frowned like she didn't want me with her. That made me feel kind of bad, but I followed her down into the parking lot anyway. She headed towards a big black car parked at the edge of the lot. It was Chef Ford, it was a Chef Ford Lexus, like the kind I always saw driving around Manhattan. The driver was about, was out at the front reading a newspaper. He wore a dark suit and tie. What are you gonna do? I asked Rachel. Just wait here, she said miserably. Please. Rachel marched straight up to the driver and talked to him. He frowned. Rachel said something else. He turned and he turned, he nodded and turned pale and folded his magazine up hastily. He nodded and fumbled for his cell phone. After a brief call, he opened the back door of the car for Rachel to get in. She pointed in my direction and the driver bubbled his head some more like, yes ma'am, whatever you want. I couldn't figure out what, why he was acting so flustered. Rachel came back to me just as Nico and Annabeth appeared out of the gift shop. I talked to Kyron, Annabeth said. They're doing their best to prepare for battle, but he, he still wants us back. They're going to need every hero they can get. Did we find a ride? The Rachel's the driver is ready where we are, Rachel said. The chauffeur was now talking to another guy in a cactus and a polo shirt, probably his client who'd rented the car. The client was complaining, but I could hear the driver saying, I'm sorry, sir. Emergency, I've ordered another car for you. Come on, Rachel said. She led us to the car and got in with even, without even looking at the annoying guy who'd rented it. A minute later, we were cruising down the road. The seats were leathered. There were plenty of legroom. The back seat had flat panel TVs built into the headrests and a mini fridge stocked with bottled waters, drinks, and snacks. We started pegging it. Pigging out. Where to, Miss Dare? The driver asked. I'm not sure yet, Robert, she said. We just need to drive through town and uh, look around. Whatever you say, miss. I looked at Rachel. Do you know this guy? No, but he dropped everything to help you. Why? Just keep your eyes peeled, she said. Help me look. Which didn't seem exactly like she was answering my question. We drove through Colorado Springs for about half an hour and saw nothing that Rachel considered a possible labyrinth ex- entrance. I was very, I was very aware of Rachel's shoulder pressing against mine. I kept wondering who she was exactly. How she'd walk up to some random chauffeur and immediately get a ride. After a, an hour, we decided to head north towards Denver, thinking that's me, that maybe a bigger city would be more likely to have a labyrinth exit entrance but we were all getting nervous we were losing time then right as we were leaving colorado springs rachel sat bolt upright get off the highway the driver glanced back miss i saw something i think get off here the driver soared across traffic and took the exit what did you see i asked because we we're pretty much out of the city now there wasn't anything around except hills grassland and some scattered farm buildings rachel had the driver turned down his unpromising dirt, this unpromising dirt road. We drove by a sign too fast for me to read it, but Rachel said, Western Museum and Mining Industry. For a museum, it didn't look like much. A little house, like an old-fashioned 
railroad station. Some drills and pumps and old steam shovels on display outside. There, Rachel said, pointing to a hole in the side of a nearby hill. A tunnel that was boarded up and chained. An old mine entrance. A door to the labyrinth? Annabeth asked. How can you be sure? Well, look at it, Rachel said. I mean, I can see it, okay? She thanked the driver and we all got out. He didn't ask for money or anything. Are you sure you'll be all right? Miss Dare, I'm, I'd be happy to call your- No, Rachel said. No, really, thanks, Robert, but we're fine. The museum seemed to be closed, so nobody bothered as us as we climbed the hill to the mine shaft. When we got to the entrance, I saw the mark of Daedalus engraved on the padlock. The how Rachel had seen something so tiny at that. All the way from the highway, I had no idea. I touched the padlock inch, and the chains fell away. We kicked down a few boards and walked inside. For better or worse, we were back in the labyrinth. The dirt tunnels turned to stone. They would be around and split off and basically tried to confuse us, but Rachel had no trouble guiding us. We were told we needed to... We told her we needed to get back to New York, and she hardly even paused when the tunnels offered a choice. To my surprise, Rachel and Annabeth started to get a conversation as we walked. Annabeth asked her more about her background, but Rachel was so invasive, so they started talking about architecture. It turned out Rachel knew something about it from studying art. They talked about different fades of buildings around New York. Have you seen this one? Blah, blah, blah. As I hung back and walked next to Nico in, com in uncomfortable silence. Thanks for coming after us, I told him at last. Nico's eyes narrowed. He didn't seem as angry as he used to. Just suspicious. Careful. I owed you one for the ranch, Percy. Plus, I wanted to see Daedalus for myself. Manus was right in a way. Daedalus should die. Nobody should be able to avoid death for that long. It's not natural. That's what you're after all along, I said, trading Daedalus' soul for your sister's. Nico walked another 50 meters without before answering. It hasn't been easy, you know, having only the dead for company. Knowing that I'll never be accepted by the living, only the dead respect me. And they only do that out of fear. You could be accepted, I said. You could have friends at camp. He stared at me. Do you really believe that, Percy? I didn't answer. The truth was, I didn't know. Nico had always been a little different. But since Bianca's death, it almost become scary. He had his father's eyes, that intense, maniac fire that made you suspect he's either a genius or a madman. And the way he'd banished Minos and called himself the King of Ghosts was kind of impressive, but it made me uncomfortable too. Before I could figure out what to tell him, though, I ran into Rachel, who'd stopped in front of me. We'd come to crossroads, to a crossroads. The tunnel continued straight ahead, but a side tunnel tunneled off to the right. A circular shaft craved from black volcanic rock. What is it? I asked. Rachel stared down at the dark tunnel. In the dim flashlight beam, her face began to look more like Nico's specters. Is that the way? Annabeth asked. No, Rachel said nervously. Not at all. Why are we stopping then? I asked. Listen. Nico said. I heard wind coming down from the tunnel, as if the exit were close. But how would the exit be close? That would make no sense. And I smelled something vague, vaguely familiar. 
something that brought back bad memories. Eucalyptus trees, I said. Like in California, last winter when we faced the Luke and the Titan Atlas on top of Mount Templis, the air had been smelled just like that. There's something evil down there. Evil down that tunnel, Rachel said. Something very powerful. And the smell of death, Nico added, which made me feel a whole lot better. Annabeth and I exchanged glances. Luke's entrance, she guessed. The one on top of Mount Othreus, the Titan's palace. I have to check it out, I said. Percy, no. Luke could be right there, I said. Or Kronos, I have to find out what's going on. Annabeth hesitated. Then we all go. No, I said. It's too dangerous. If they got a hold of Nico, or Rachel for that matter, Kronos could use them. You stay here and guard them. What? What I didn't say, I also worried about Annabeth. I didn't trust what she would do if she saw Luke again. She'd fooled, he'd fooled her and manipulated her way too many times before. Percy, don't, Rachel said. Don't go up there alone. I'll be quick, I promised. I won't do anything stupid. Annabeth took her Yankees cap out of her pocket. At least take this and be careful. Thanks. I remember the last time Annabeth and I had parted ways when she'd given me a kiss for luck in Mount St. Helens. Helens. This time, all I got was a hat. I put it on. Here goes nothing. And I sneaked invisibly down the dark stone tunnel. Before I even got to the exit, I heard voices. Grind, the growling, barking sounds of Sea Demon Smith's The Telekinds. At least we salvaged the blade, one said. The master will still reward us. Yes, yes, a second shrieked. Rewards beyond measure. Another voice, this one more human. Um, yeah, well, that's great. Now, if you're done with me, no half-blood, Atelkan said. You must help us make the presentation. It is a great honor. Gee, thanks, the half-blood said. And I realized he was Ethan Nakamura. The guy who'd run after, who run after, run away after I'd saved him his life, his sorry life in the arena. I crept towards the end of the tunnel. I had to remind myself I was invisible. They couldn't, they wouldn't be able to see me. A blast of cold air hit me as I emerged. I was standing near the top of Mount Tam. The Pacific Ocean spread out below, gray under a cloudy sky. About six meters downhill, two telekines were placing something on a big rock. Something long and thin and wrapped in black cloth. Ito was helping them open it. Careful, fool, the Telkine scolded. One touch and the blade will sever your soul from your mortal body. Ito swallowed nervously. Maybe I'll let you unwrap it then. He, I glanced at the mountain's peak, where a black and marble fortress loomed, just like I'd seen in my dreams. It remained, it reminded me of an oversized mausoleum, with walls 15 meters high. I had no idea how mortals could miss the fact that it was there, but then again, everything below the summit seemed fuzzy to me, as if there was a thick veil between me and the lower half of the mountain. There were magic going on there, really powerful mist. Above me, the sky swirled into huge funnel clouds. I couldn't see Atlas, but I could hear him groaning in the distance, still laboring under the weight of the sky, just beyond the fortress. There, the telekine said. Revertly, he lifted the weapon, and my blood turned to ice. It was a scythe, two-meter-long blade, curved like a crescent moon, with a wooden handle wrapped in leather. 
The blade glinted two different colors, steel and bronze. It was the weapon of Kronos, the one he used to slice up his father, Uranus. Before the gods had taken it away to, into Tartarus and murdered him with his own weapon, cutting him into a thousand pieces. We must sanctify it in blood, the Telekine said. Then you, Half-Blood, shall help present it when the Lord awakes. I ran towards the fortress, my pulse pounding in my ears. I didn't want to get anywhere close to that horrible black mausoleum, but I knew what I had to do. I had to stop Kronos from rising. This might be my only chance. I dashed through a dark foyer and into the main hall. The floor shone like a piano, pure black and yet full of light. Black marble statues lined the walls. I didn't recognize the faces, but I knew I was looking at images of the titans who had ruled before the gods. And the end of the room, between two bronze braziers, was a daze. On the daze, the golden sarcophagus. The room was silent, except for the crackle of the fires. Luke wasn't here. No guards, nothing. It was too easy, but I approached the daze. The sarcophagus was just like I remembered. About three meters long, much too big for a human. It was carved with elaborate scenes of death and destruction. A picture of the gods being trampled under chariots, temples, and famous world landmarks being smashed and burned. The whole coffin gave me an aura of extreme cold, like I was walking into a freezer. My breath began to steam. I drew Riptide and took it a little... I took a little comfort from the familiar weight of the sword in my hand. Whenever I approached Kronos before, the evil voice had spoken in my mind. Why was he silent now? He'd been sh shredded into a thousand pieces, cut with his own scythe. What would I find if I opened the lid? How could they make a new body for him? I had no answers. I just knew that if I was about to rise, if he was about to rise, I had to strike him down before he got his scythe. I had to figure out a way to stop him. I stood over the coffin. The lid was decorated even more interestedly than in the sides. The scenes of carnage and power in the middle of an inscription and carved in letters even older than Greek, a language of magic. I couldn't read it exactly, but I knew what it said. Kronos, Lord of Time. My hand touched the lid. My fingertips turned blue. Frost gathered on my sword. When I heard noises behind me, voices approaching, it was now or never. I pushed back the golden lid and it fell to the floor with a huge room. I lifted... I lifted my sword, ready to strike. When I looked inside, I didn't comprehend what I was seeing. Mortal legs dressed in great trousers, a white t-shirt's hands folded over his stomach. One piece of his chest was missing, a clean black hole about the size of a bullet wound right where his heart should have been. His eyes were closed, his skin was pale, blonde hair and a scar running across the left side of his face. The body in the coffins was Luke's. I should have stabbed him right then. I should have brought the point of Riptide down with all my strength. But I was too stunned. I didn't understand. As much as I hated Luke, as much as he'd betrayed me, just didn't get why he was in the coffin. Why he looked so very, very dead. Then the voices of the telekines were right behind me. What has happened? One of the demons screamed. When he saw the lid, I stumbled away from the daze, forgetting that I was invisible and hid behind a column as they approached. Careful! The other demon warned. Perhaps he stirs. Perhaps he presents... Perhaps 
We must present the gift now, immediately. The two telekines shuffled forward, knelt, and knelt, holding up the scythe in its wrapping cloth. My lord, one said, your symbol of power is remade. Silence. Nothing in the cup happened. You fool, the other telekine muttered. He requires the half-blood first. Ethan stepped back. Whoa, whoa, what do you mean he requires me? Don't be a coward, the first telekine hissed. He does not require death, only your allegiance. Pledge, pledge him your service. Rebound the gods, that is all. No, I yelled. It was a stupid thing to do. I charged into the room and took off the cap. Ethan, don't! Trespasser! The telekines bared their sealed teeth. The master will deal with you soon enough. Hurry, boy! Ethan, I pleaded. Don't listen to them. Help me destroy it. Ethan turned towards me, his eye patch bending with the shadows of it on his face. The expression was something like pity. I told you not to spare me, Percy. An eye for an eye. You heard? You ever heard that saying? I learned it what it means the hard way when I discovered my godly parent. I'm the child of Nemesis, goddess of revenge, and this is what I must do. He turned towards the days. I renounce the gods. What have they ever done to me? I will see them destroyed. I will serve Kronos. The building rumbled. A wisp of blue light rose from the floor at Ethan Nakamura's feet. It drifted towards the coffin and began to shimmer like a cloud of pure energy. When it descended into the sar sarcophagus, Luke sat bolt upright. His eyes opened, and they were no longer blue. They were golden, the same color as the coffin. The hole in his chest was gone. He was complete. He leaped out of the coffin with ease, and where his feet touched the floor, the marble froze like craters of ice. He looked at Ethan and the telekines with those horrible golden eyes, as if he were a newborn baby, not sure what he was saying. Then he looked at me. A smile of recognition crept across his mouth. This body has been well prepared. His voice was like a razor blade running over my skin. It was Luke's, but not Luke's. Underneath his voice was another, more horrible sound, an ancient, cold sound, like metal scraping against rock. Don't you think, Percy Jackson? I couldn't move. I couldn't answer. Kronos threw back his head and laughed. The scar on his face rippled. Luke feared you, the Titan's voice said. His jealousy and hatred had been, have been powerful tools. It has kept him obedient. For that, I thank you. Ethan collapsed in terror. He covered his face with his hands. Tel Telekines tumbled, holding up the scythe. Finally, I found my nerve. I lunged at the thing that used to be Luke, thrusting my blade straight at his chest, but his skin deflected the blow like he was made of pure steel. He made he looked at me with amusement. Then he flicked his hand, and I flew across the room. I slammed against the pillar. I struggled to my feet, blinking the stars out of my eyes, but Kronos had already grasped the handle of the, his scythe. Oh, much better, he said. Backbiter, Luke called it. An appropriate name. Now that it's reforged completely, it shall indeed bite back. What have you done to Luke? I groaned. Kronos raised his scythe. He serves me with his whole being as I require. The difference is, he feared you, Percy Jackson. I do not. That's when I ran. There wasn't even any thought to it. No debate in my mind about, gee, should I stand up to him? And try to fight him? Nope. I simply ran. But my feet felt like lead. Time slowed down around me. Like the world was running 
was turning into jello. I'd had this feeling before, once before, and I knew it was the power of Kronos. His presence was so strong, it could bend time itself. Run, little hero, he laughed. Run! I glanced back and saw him approaching leisurely, swinging his scythe as if he were enjoying the feel of having it in his hands again. No weapon in the world could stop him. No amount of celestial bronze. He was three meters away when I heard, Percy! Rachel's voice. Something flew past me and a blue plastic hairbrush hit Kronos in the eye. Ow! He yelled. For a moment it was only Luke's voice, full of surprise and pain. My limbs were afraid and I ran straight into Rachel, Nico and Annabeth who were standing in the entry hall, their eyes wide with dismay. Luke? Annabeth called. What? I grabbed her by the shirt and hauled her after me. I ran as fast as I'd ever run, straight out of the fortress. We were almost back in the labyrinth entrance when I heard the loudest bellow in the world. The voice of Kronos coming back into control. After them! No! Nico yelled. He clapped his hands together. And a jagged spire of a rock the size of 18-wheeler erupted from the ground right in front of the fortress. The tremor it caused was so powerful, the front columns of the buildings came crashing down. I heard muffled screams from the telecons inside, dust billowed everywhere. We plunged into the labyrinth and kept running, the howl of the Titan Lord shaking the entire world behind us. Um, and that was chapter 16. I know I said part one in the intro, but, um, yeah, I didn't, I thought it was about 20, I was thinking, oh, it's about 20 pages, I'm just gonna read 10 pages twice, yeah, then I realized, wait, it's 15 pages, like, halfway through, and then I also realized, I can't just make a, like, seven-page episode. I'm really disappointed myself already that I'm making 10-page episodes. Also, um, yeah, Hopefully, I do not murder people with headphones when I yelled uh, that in the very last bit. If I did, I apologize. I am also pre-recording this chapter, so if you do comment, please do somebody. I'm just saying at this point for fun, I'm just pretending. I would love if someone actually commented, but uh, I'm recording this in pre-time because I'm going on vacation very soon. School is ending very nice. Everybody... Stay to your studies. Hope you're listening to this while you study. I hate studying. Um, good to study. Bye.